1: Moultrie Mobile's industry-best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com.
0: Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit moultriemobile.com.
2: Welcome to the Antler Up Podcast. what's up everybody welcome back to another episode of the antler up podcast on this week's episode dimitri and i we were joined by steve shirk from shirk's guide service and steve resides in western pennsylvania where he hunts the big woods of pa and the last time we had steve on the podcast we had a ton of topics regarding buck hunting tactics and strategies we call that one going to buck school with steve shirk well round two is finally here After over a year and Steve wrapped up a two-year trail cam data study, which he shared on the Exodus podcast with our friends, Chad and Cam, which was awesome. So if you have yet to listen to that one, please go check that one out because we kind of dive into certain things regarding about that. And you'll hear as you listen to this podcast, but we get Steve to share hunting strategies for hunting specific weeks, finding bucks after the shift and so much more regarding how he plans to hunt throughout this upcoming season. We wrap up the conversation with Steve answering a few listener questions as well. So thank you, Steve, for coming on again and sharing a ton of great content. And before we get into this week's episode, I want to share with you a discount code with Black Rifle Coffee Company. And fall is here, and there's no better way to start your morning before a hunt or celebrate a successful hunt than with some Black Rifle Coffee. Black Rifle Coffee Company is a veteran-owned coffee company serving premium coffee to people who love america so go fuel your next adventure and purchase at www.blackriflecoffee.com and use code antler at checkout to save 20 percent off your purchase and or with your first coffee club subscription last year was a wild year for censorship for hunters and anglers we partnered with social media platform go wild to combat mainstream social media censorship Go Wild was built by outdoorsmen and women by hunters and anglers just like you. Go Wild is a free social community. Not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged on Go Wild. And Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. As you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards too, such as gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so much more. Oh, and if you create a free account, You can unlock $10 just for trying it out. Visit and download gowild.com to get started. Also, real quick before we get into this week's episode, go check out antlerupoutdoors.com. Check out our store. We got some hats out there for available to purchase. We want to say thank you to everybody that has already purchased a hat. Grab your new killing hat for this upcoming season. All black. We got a loaded in black with a cool wood patch. So shout out to Shea Butler knives and single acre hat company for getting those to us. Thanks again, everybody for tuning in best of luck to you this upcoming season. Stay tuned. Antler up. Let's get into this week's episode. What's going on with you, Steve, man, you've been busy. You're just (laughs) on the Exodus trail cam podcast where you released that massive trail cam data, dude.
3: Yeah, uh, no. I've it's been a busy summer. Um, I think you know, obviously, uh, a lot. Of, well, a lot of people probably don't know, but I do landscaping and that too. So, starting to get on the downhill side of that and getting you know more focused on the guiding plan and you know what's going to happen this fall and even you know hunting wise. So, other than just getting sick this past week, I'm good to go now and definitely looking forward to uh, you know talking white tails and getting over just i'm not the kind of person that does well staying stuck inside for a few days and that's that's been me so at least uh to be thinking deer and talking deer is gonna definitely gonna brighten my spirit
2: that's great man well no this is this will be great so we're getting ready for the week here of you know obviously hunting coming up and you know where where is your focus coming up early season right now
3: especially for me is I don't, you know, I don't guide until once we get closer to the rut. So um, my focus is definitely going to be around bedding or I got one spot that's actually within sight of a buck bed, but it's, it's a spot where I think I can maybe even set up in the morning uh, before, before he gets in this area. A lot of times I, I wouldn't recommend that, but he's got so many beds in this spot that I think he, Uh, I'm able to slip in right in the bedroom um, if I get in there early enough. And I feel that, you know, if I do that, because it's kind of a big bedding area, I I think especially I think if you can get in the bedroom, and I know it's an even bigger of a gamble, but I think the closer you are, you know, the better. So um, all my early season setups are around bedding. Uh, nor uh, do we really have much of a food source the past two years uh, we haven't had any mass crops you know meaning this year as well so i'll just be focused on buck bedding and especially a few you know certain bucks that i you know plan to be hunting and i'll do that for the first two or three weeks of archery you know when i have time and then it gets real busy for me
1: (laughs) now How do you tackle those last couple weeks leading up into the season? Just because, you know, everyone's heard heard your big, you know, trail camera data and you know, so they know how many cameras that you run, and you know, so are you shift in those at all, like you know, because obviously you're gathering a lot of summer intel over scrapes and different yep. different aspects of the you know the summer and when they're in velvet. Now, when they go hardhorn, and we you know the the pattern shift of those deer, they kind of break out away from those bachelor mm-hmm. groups a little bit and maybe go yep. to their fall home range. You know, leading up into the season, is there any change in um, you know, the way you're handling your trail cameras and gaining gaining some more inventory leading up to that opening day?
3: Yep, absolutely. Uh, normally, um, there'd be an even bigger shift for me uh, where I would hardly have any cameras, you know, throughout the summer and other times of year in areas and actual spots that I plan to hunt. Like, if it was a summer, I would just focus on... Summer locations, um, you know the the summer habitat and that kind of stuff. But over the years, uh, one thing it's just been really hard for me to, you know, within you know basically a month, try to gather up all those cameras and then re- reset them up. It's not like uh, you know it's a hundred yard walk here. Like you know, sometimes you it's in it's a two hour walk to one camera or something like that. So I've had to leave a lot more cameras out, uh, in some areas, but kind of getting to the point is about 50% of my cameras, um, in the summer are now like on summer type stuff that, that I won't be keeping them there, you know, in hunting season, Mm -hmm. but then 50% are just left in. Like I might, still have a camera on like a rut, you know, uh, community scrape slash pinch point somewhere where, you know, we had a had a, a stand and I just leave the camera there because for one, too, like I think you can still get a lot of good intel year round. You're going to see, you know, how deer are just using those areas in general. Uh, occasionally, you're going to even have bucks throughout the summer go on excursions through their rut areas. And then lastly, I've also learned that um, you, can, you can probably get away with a lot more as far as not disturbing a mature buck by just leaving the camera there. So, so now once, you know, I know I rambled off a lot, but um, now I'm only moving about half of my cameras this time of year because, you know, half of them are just in those locations as they were last year.
2: Nice. When, now when you're relocating these cameras and you're trying to find that, that shift. And I remember specifically last year when we had you on Steve, Dimitri and I, we were talking about the one buck that ultimately his dad ended up actually killing that year during rifle season. And you were saying like, man, you know, certain deer could just, their home range could be miles away. And, you know, but you sometimes do see certain deer be homebodies where they might just be switching the, the next ridge or, you know, staying yeah. a little bit closer to home. How do you go about maybe relocating those bucks? And then also to kind of piggyback off of that, as a, a, a listener propose this question have you seen anything regarding like obviously the buck shift happens have you seen anything regarding dose shifting as well
3: oh yeah absolutely so um the first question would be you know i'm i'm not totally relying on last year or past Mm -hmm. years but it's kind of like my go-to point but i don't uh you know i don't throw all my cards or all my money on that until like I'll start out at that, but if I'm not seeing what I want to see on the cameras or uh, I'm not seeing the sign I want to see, you know, then I'll adjust. But that's where a lot of my cameras are going to go uh, based on what I saw last year or even also some postseason scouting stuff. Mm-hmm. But once again, I don't, I don't just bank on that completely because also one year to the next can be completely different in the big woods. But it's just, you know, once again, it's like a starting point. And then also, um, you know, getting to the other question, I see a huge shift in doe doe activity um, right about the same time when bucks shed their velvet. And this has just, you know, been more of an opinion or theory of mine. Uh, I might not have it right as far as exactly why it happens, but I can definitely tell you that you'll see – way more separation between bucks and does from now till you know throughout october until does start coming into heat um uh it just seems like all summer they were you know much more tolerant of each other but it just seems like does are uh, really try to avoid bucks or especially mature bucks this time of year i mean you can catch them feeding it maybe the same food source if it's a really quality food source you know in the middle of the night like they're, they're just going to do what they got to do. And it's probably hard to even for a doe to, uh, to, to, to pattern a buck on some of those food sources and when's he going to show and or, or, or so forth. But overall, the the point is, is it, it definitely seems like, you know, more like their bedding areas really seem to become separated and you know, I'll check cameras and you'll just get does in the daytime in certain areas and bucks in the daytime. And, Certain areas, so there definitely seems to be a really, really, you know, well-established uh, separation period, and that's about the time those bucks start shedding their velvet, you know, and start feeling that testosterone.
1: Now that you said that, so say you're an individual, you you are going out opening morning, and just because you said kind of the the does and the bucks separate themselves. You're a person that you know would love just to kind of you're you're there obviously. If you see the mature buck you're targeting, that's that's your goal obviously for that day. But you also don't mind shooting a doe the first day, uh, so mm-hmm. you get up get up there in your tree opening morning and it's first light and maybe a a group of, of doe mature does come through. Would you say because of that separation that you know it's okay to go ahead and and harvest? a doe at that point just because the chances of that mature buck coming through afterwards um you know at the same location as those does um or do you still feel like there is that chance that maybe you should hold off and wait if you are targeting a specific buck in that area um
3: well yes and no like this and this might take this slightly off topic but i do think i should bring this up that you know, in some areas where we hunt, we don't have a lot of does. And I mean, I'm not, I'm not against shooting does cause we also have, we have clusters of deer. We have just, it's scattered all over the place. But my point is like, we also have these areas where there's not as many deer and these, these smaller pockets of does, but yet I never shoot those does because they're like bait They're in areas where there's less does. I feel like, you know, if, if, if it's an area that you think is going to have big bucks in the rut and you, you know, you can keep three, four, five does around, I would recommend never shooting those does because, you know, once you start taking them out, it's going to, you know, steer those bucks in another direction. But, you know, just wanted to make sure I brought that up. But as far as um, it, you know, in the early season, you know, it potentially, uh, you know, ruining, ruining your hunt or uh, is is it a clue that okay i'm seeing does and i'm not seeing that mature buck you know i should just take take a doe i i would kind of agree and say yes because you know once again in, in at least based on my setups that I, you know, I rarely hunt food sources in the early season um and that's because i'm only a pennsylvania archery hunter like i think right now through you know mid to almost late september i think food sources can be really good until those bucks get you know super nocturnal and stay tighter to bedding but uh you know once again my point is if you know if if you're if you're hunting a buck bedding area and and you're seeing does i got a pretty good feeling that you know those does know more than me and that buck's probably not around so i think i would gamble and shoot shoot a doe then think it'd
2: be a good time to do that. Nice. I like that answer. Yeah, I mean, because even when you were saying about it, when it's that low doe density area, you know, say you yeah. do shoot one, not only are you removing, quote unquote, like you were saying, Steve, the, the bait, but then also you got to go through with recovering the deer, you know, going through that, that whole cleanup process too and putting your scent down uh, and it's, yep. you know, so it's, it's actually like kind of like a little double whammy and, you know, if it's a spot yep. where maybe – I mean, you come up, you're out of you're out of state and you only have that one weekend to hunt there, then obviously more power to you. But if you're like Dimitri, even said in that question, a more specific buck, you know, that's, you know, try not to, to ruin that area. That, that's good stuff. Now, Steve, let me we're yep. like we're we're the three of us are here in uh, in the big woods per se. And uh, this summer and it, it, it's been very dry. What are, oh, yeah. what have you noticed? What may be changing your game plan for early season? Uh, if anyth- anything is happening for you?
3: Well, I'm definitely keeping my eyes open. Um, as of right now, I, I don't have any for sure plans, but I'm starting to really pay more attention because, you know, I, I talk about this every now and then, but two years ago, uh, it was very similar situation and, and I never really had seen these kind of drought conditions. And then once again, here we go. But what had happened was, you know, because I'm a mountain hunter, usually, you know, all throughout mountains you can find little spring runs, little pockets of water. Well, it even stayed so dry, you know, come you know October that uh, the only water sources were what was left way down in the bottoms of the valleys and those little streams weren't even really flowing. It was just like stagnant water that was just kind of pocketed. So, you know, I'm usually always hunting up high near bedding. Well, you know, by the time mid to late October came, everything just went dead up high. And that's what I had to figure out was that these deer had shifted from some of these great, you know, you know, well-known bedding areas. They, they really started, you know, staying closer to that water because I mean literally you know, there might, they might have a mile or two just to get to any water if they, you know, are staying up high on some of these mountains. So uh, that really, you know, threw a curveball at me. And I think, uh, you know, we have to at least keep an eye on that potential situation this year. I, I do think we have enough time for the water levels to pick back up, especially, you know, this, this week at least mm-hmm. on my way. We've, we've definitely got some really good rain this week three real good days so far and the long range forecast still looks a little bit decent so um it's hard to say what's going to happen but I definitely think if if it's you know a season that you you could definitely say uh you know it's drought conditions I really think you need to keep water in mind I think I think it really is a big factor
1: now, if you, if you can't find that, that creek or, you know, down low, uh, you know, is there any other water sources that, you, that you're looking for, especially on the mountain that may be, you know, s- something different other than that?
3: There are a few, um, like, uh, ponds and just, you know, unusual, you know, pockets of water here and there, but they're, they're few and far between. You know, generally in the mountains, that that's just how it, how it flows. It's like uh, you know, dumping water down like a, a slide. And uh, if it stays flowing, good, it'll it'll flow from top to bottom. But once the rains quit, you know, it's just gonna pocket down at the bottom. And you know, if, if we have the same conditions or similar to what you know what we had this summer, and, and I'm not talking as much temperature, but you know, you start going five, six weeks without rain, say, you know, say we go, you know, mid September to mid October without hardly any rain. I really think that's going to affect even a lot of my planning and some of my, you know, rut setups and my, just my overall game plan for the rut. I think, you know, by then we're going to have to be more focused on water. Nice. And which is, I mean, like I said, down, down low is, is, is going to be where that water is if you're a mountain hunter right. for the most part. Right.
2: Now, when you're talking early season here, Steve, obviously our, our season's about to, you know, kick off. And one of the things that I want to ask you is obviously we just said about paying a little bit more attention to water. What would mm-hmm. you say for, or are some keys to big woods early season success? Because, you know, even looking at your previous Trail cam data you saw in 2020, we had significantly cooler temperatures that first week, and you had more yep. daytime buck photos compared to last year in 2021 when it was you know typical. What it, it almost seems like that it's been a lot warmer, and you had you know a lot a significant drop when it came to uh, daytime buck photos. So when it comes to early season. Big Woods success, what are maybe three things you're going to key in on or maybe l- try to get get ready to to kind of kill that buck that maybe you're you're after or in general, not necessarily a specific buck because I know a lot of people have that one specific buck, but then there are a lot of people that don't. Like, heck, if a nice buck <laughs> walked in front of Dimitri and I, I, I could probably speak for him that, and myself that if it's a good one, we're going to try to take a whack at it. So even if we had a bigger buck on camera per se, but you know, what are maybe sure. three keys that you're going to say, Hey, in the big woods early season, that first week and a half, maybe the, until that second weekend, what are you focusing on?
3: Sure. Well, you, you're probably going to like this. Cause I, I was, I was well prepared for, for this question. And, and I want people to listen to this. It, it will be the three C's. It's going to be cover, cold fronts and cameras. Nice. So you can't, You can't really forget that if you you word it that way. But starting with cover, um, especially those, uh, you know, just those average fall days. You know, anymore it seems like you get a lot of, you know, 60, 70 degree days. You know, you know, especially you know early season what we're talking about. Those are the days I'm going to be hunting. You know, thick cover only, as tight to bedding as possible. You know, but still knowing your limits, like. Every bedding area is a little bit different. Uh, you know, sometimes you got to get several hundred yards away and sometimes you can get literally almost within sight of beds. but you know if it's warm that deer's most likely not going to leave that cover until after dark. So if you can somehow get inside there um, or get right on the edge and you know wait them out until that last light you know cover is going to be what you're typically, Uh, you know going to be focusing on just on a on an average you know day early season Um, secondly uh, pray for those cold fronts Uh, (laughs) obviously we can't count on them especially you know last uh, last year 2021 I think the only somewhat of a cold front we have was actually around opening day of archery other than that um, we didn't really get a cold front till I want to say about the 16th or 17th of october um but those cold fronts it's a completely different type of hunting then you can you can hunt rub lines you can hunt scrape lines um you can definitely get more into calling and rattling even i'm talking even the first week you get a cold front those bucks they start to get fired up it does it literally doesn't even matter if it's opening day i've I've seen I've seen bucks. I mean, I'm not going to say like they were rutting, rutting, but like just really getting you know in that rut mood. You know, when you get you get you know good, uh, mm-hmm. say it might be you know 60 degrees one day and it drops in the 40s the next. You know, you get something like that early October. That's just stuff that you you you've got to find a way to get into a stand. Uh, but you know, I think the number one Thing for me uh in the early season and that's my last thing like like i said uh it's going to be cameras um i really think you got to pay attention to what you're seeing on your cameras because there's there is that minimal daytime movement those core areas are as far as that the daytime area of a buck is generally pretty small that time of year so if you're not seeing that on your cameras i mean you're definitely you're not in the zone You're not in the ballpark. You really got to dial in on clustering those cameras around those known betting areas and really keying in on that Intel and, you know, and, you know, narrowing things down and honing in on a buck.
1: Now, now let's play in a little scenario just because again, this is going to air right before PA, you know, statewide, especially for our season opener here, you know, so you maybe you don't have that, you know, daytime picture of a buck you have several bucks you know maybe you have a sprinkle of a daytime photo here and there but nothing that really screams at you that with this wind or you know this temperature he's going to be moving so you don't really have that key intel of of a game plan on, you know, maybe several different bucks and, you know, you're that weekend warrior. So you, you work all week, you're only going to be able to work the weekends to maybe you have that week off in the rut or sometime during the season, you know, and we have maybe average temperatures where it's not a cold front, you know, maybe it's not overly warm, you know, what's your game plan for that, that first day you, you know, based off the wind, just kind of finding, you know, a bedding cover that, that you feel confident in to go in there? or you maybe not even scratching the, the morning hunt and, and being a little more specific to the evening and maybe looking for some hot signs? So how are you tackle, tackling that first day?
3: Um, you know, I, I like to, to gamble a little bit more, you know, and uh, I guess, you know, you could say be a little bit more aggressive. The way, the way I look at it is this. Um, if you're hunting an individual buck, and you know his bedding area, he's still only going to be in that pattern roughly two to three weeks at the most. And then think about it this way, you know, and if you're talking about one of those kind of hunters that you said, it doesn't have a whole lot of time. Um, I say, I say, you know, literally go right at him and, and be aggressive. Um, even if you got like, you might have, maybe you have a long weekend and, you know, you got three days to hunt. I I don't see any reason with even burning that that spot out because I'm telling you, that that spot's only going to be good till maybe October fifteenth, October twentieth. Then he's going to break out of that pattern. He's going to start paying more attention to does. He's going to be bedding more around does. And I just think if you're not that aggressive, and this being you know maybe someone that wants to kill a mature buck. Um, if you're really not that aggressive in taking advantage of this pattern because really the, the thing is is it's especially in the big woods it's not like you, you know he's coming into the field every night at a certain time and he's on this you know real distinct bed to feed pattern it's kind it's really not that easy at least you know in the in this situation that I'm hunting so I think you, I think you pick out a couple bucks you hunt them real aggressively, you know, four or five times in the early season, and see what happens. And if you, you burn it out, it's not like, uh, you know, you're probably going to hunt those areas come the rut anyways.
1: Well, and I think that's the the problem that I ran into mostly the last couple of years. We'd lead up into the season, we'd have this, you know, general intel. And then, you know, that first day comes and you're just like, you know, it's just the beginning of the season. Right. Where do let's, you go? <laughs> yeah. Let's just go here based off the wind. You know, we know that there's several decent bucks in the area, but we didn't really have a specific game plan for that first day or even the first couple weeks. And and just like you said, I think you you miss out on some opportunities. And what I've really tried to to dive into this year with my uh, scouting and my cameras is not so much have a wide range. Yes, I have planned A, B, C, and D. But not go overly invested on a bunch of properties and just get that general data, but take a handful of spots and be more specific in where I'm putting the cameras and transition and understanding where the bedding and the food are you know that way when it comes to the early season i am making a better game plan and being more aggressive early on where i have a better chance of being successful and not mm-hmm. just saying hey it's going to be a little bit warmer it's not the best but i only have this this saturday to hunt let's just kind of go wherever you know, and just see what happens. And I think that's the mistake a lot of hunters make, especially not just early October, but the
2: whole month. Yeah. Cause I even like to even build off of what Dimitri said, I, I was actually gearing that scenario up in my head just because I feel like we I've done that as well, obviously. And cause we would sit there and say, Oh, it wasn't until October 27th until we saw our first mature buck or first legal buck. And like at that point in time, I think back to the prior and like what Demetri was saying, like changing up is, you know, instead of just going in and saying, Hey, let's sit on this Ridge or this and you know, hoping a buck walks by or hoping a deer walks by like actually finding that sign and having that game plan. Like Demetri was just saying the, the set up on yep. and actually have, you know, have a reason and a reason and a meaning to, to do it.
3: Yep. Yeah. And, and the big thing about sign is, uh, you know, and I I didn't bring sign up because I also think that at that time of year, I I think you're going to see more sign in areas that you're not going to be able to kill that deer versus where you can kill him because uh, he's, he's generally got, you know, his own area or maybe a few of his own core areas that a lot of times it's mainly just him in that area and He's not putting as much sign in there. I'm not saying he doesn't put any sign, but where he's putting the most of his sign that time of year is where there's a lot of other deer and, like, a lot of those night feeding areas and that. So my overall point is don't be looking for tons of sign, but be looking for sign in the right places and, like, big buck-looking sign, too. I think that's really important.
2: Yeah, it may not even like you're saying, Stephen, you could correct me if I'm wrong. Like we're not like you may you're not even talking the the rubs and the scrapes, like it could be a track and it could be the droppings. Yep, just stuff yep. like that that like you said if it's by himself, you know, he, he there's no need for him to be doing all that kind of stuff or he could be making that rub line when he goes back to bed type of ordeal. Yeah. I like that. Yep.
3: Now, yep, I there just one thing I'll bring yep. up too that, that's just a kind of a cool point to add on to that. There's There was this one big deer I used to hunt a few years ago, and, you know, throughout the summer and part of the early fall, like there was this logging road that went right through the middle of this clear cut, and, you know, most of the year, the summer, early fall, you'd see doe tracks, fawn tracks, small buck tracks, whatever, a whole mixture of deer tracks on this road. Well, I kid you not, it about, usually it was about early September, mid-September, You know, it varied a little bit every year, but all of a sudden there'd be hardly any deer tracks except you'd see just a few big lone tracks. But that's, like, something to really look for, you know, kind of adding on to my point. Like, you're not looking for numbers. You're looking for, if talking, you know, once again, I think most of our listeners are going to be relating this to hunting mature bucks. You're looking for mature buck signs and you know seeing something like that you know just seeing that occasional big track in an area that's a lot bigger of a clue than what a lot of hunters probably would think yeah
2: i want to i want to break this down so because i'm looking at your trail cam data and that podcast you did with the boys from exodus was just so fun to listen to actually i was uh when that got dropped i was out of town and I had a time in, in the vehicle to myself. So <laughs> I, I, I was loving that, that hour. So, which was great. Uh-huh. So I kind of want to yeah. b- build upon this a little bit, Steve. So you broke down kind of, I guess your three C's for, I want to say the first two weeks of October, I have the calendar up yep. uh, like right here. So you have from, uh, obviously that would be said so October one until what'd you say the 14th, 15th. So that's oh, exactly. Yeah, yep. yep. So that would break down your three C's from there. So starting the 17th, that Monday, how do you go about breaking down that week? So now like, now we're talking cold fronts. Now we're talking yep. when we started seeing a lot more daylight activity when it comes to trail cam data. And obviously that data is coming from yours specifically, but even some that we've done on our own. And I think a lot of hunters are starting to do, you know, these last couple of seasons as well. And hell, I, shoot, I, it's been, I think back to five years ago, almost three years in a row when I, as a teacher, had in service days like that Thursday, Friday, I would take off that Friday and I missed two bucks back to back years. And another wow. time, and, and another time, I had uh, another buck just like come on through that actually two. One, one was a shooter, but just w- way too far out in the distance. And then another little kind of young buck coming through. So, like, man, it, all this before I got into the whole podcast and understanding that I've always, kind of looked forward to that middle of October whether it was a cold front or not before I kind of understood all that type of stuff so you know the week of the 17th through obviously that that 22nd or if it if it goes on for you that that's fine how are you attacking from 17 on before the the major pre-rut
3: well this is actually a tricky period to hunt it's really good but it's a transition period because it's, it's during what I call the rut shift. And so basically though, it's not like every buck shifts out of that, that early season bedding pattern, that nocturnal pattern. It's not like they're all doing it on the same day. So it's tricky because you, you don't know for sure. Should I hunt that buck around his bedding area? Because, you know, now he's going to likely, you know, break out and move more in the daytime or there's also a really good chance that right about that time he completely vanishes from that area. So, you know, it's a really, it's a really tricky situation. Most of the time, my, I'm starting to hunt more, like some people might think it's crazy. I'm actually hunting more around rut areas then, especially uh, if you get a cold front, because with that cold front, you know, like we've really been fortunate the past few years to get one around that time. Um, those bucks definitely do go through some of, those, some of those doe bedding areas at that time of year. And that is just a phenomenal time to hunt scrapes as well. Um, and, and I kid you not, like, a lot of times I'll hunt a stand where, you know, I've had a camera uh, there, you know, weeks, months, whatever, and, and maybe it's a spot that I haven't even seen a good buck on it since last fall. But I know that it's getting to be about that time that those bucks show up. They break out of their, like I said, their early season pattern. They're starting to range more. It's one of those things, and it's at that right time, that it's just any day something's going to show up. And yeah. as long as I'm having good doe activity, um, that's generally, you know, something I'm really looking for the most. I mean, if I'm already starting to see good buck and doe activity, uh, sure, that, that makes me want to hunt that spot even more and gives me more confidence. But a lot of it is just based off predicting, you know, and prior intel from past years, then it's like, okay, you know, I'm following a buck and he leads me to the spot because you almost have to be ahead of their next step at that time of year.
1: Now, especially during that that first cold front is there any sign that you know you said scrapes but you know what's what's enough sign for you to to hunt that area or feel confident that you're going to see a buck maybe you know you're going in for midday or if for an evening hunt and you you know you always hear we even talked about it on a podcast previously with Zach from THP you know what's enough sign for you to set up there and feel confident that's a buck using that? Is that just, you know, one scrape or, you know, multiple? Is it just maybe a scrape that you've, you know, community scrape that's been in the past used? You know, what's telling you this is the area that you need to be in at that time?
3: Well, it's got to be somewhere still where, uh, you know, a buck is not going to feel vulnerable uh, because there's a lot of areas where you'll get, you're going to get does on camera. And even somewhat during the rut, those bucks don't go in there. They kind of circle the fringes of it, you know, where they feel more safer. And, you know, they'll pick up does that way. But it's got to, you know, even still got to rely, usually somewhat on cover that time of year. It's not the time of year where you're likely going to find a hot doe and a buck is just going to follow her literally through the back of your yard or something. I mean, they're not that crazy that point they're still you know they're still pretty leery on how they're moving through the woods so you still want to keep cover in mind um once again i think doe bedding can be really really good especially if you've got like a you know a good community scrape you know on the edge or right in some doe bedding you know that's a really good scenario and really there's there's several good scenarios a lot of times like you know i might make a say you know maybe somewhere around october 10th i I do a camera check and i'm getting a really good buck uh working a scrape line you know only at night though but it it seems like you know a good safe zone for him to travel the only reason why he's not hitting it in the daylight is it's too far from his bedroom but the does are bedding there and i know that sooner or later he's going to show up in the daytime like that's that's a really good scenario too um so you know those those type of situations. That's kind of what I'm looking for. A lot of sign can be good, but you know once again, I always I'm always careful on you know hunting lots of sign because I like I keep saying though. But sometimes just lots of sign is just telling you more night activity than anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you just really have to know the woods that you're hunting. You have to know how the deer use them. You got to know your bedding areas, your feeding areas and especially, you know, where's the hunting pressure at when it's it's public land because a lot of people don't think that you'll find a lot of sign where there's a lot of pressure, but that's entirely not true. Those deer know that we're not there at night. Um, I know, like, major, you know, access areas and parking lots that are just littered with giant rubs every year, and you would think, like, you could set up right in the parking lot and kill one out of your truck, (laughs) that buck's making those rubs at between midnight and 4 a.m. So uh, you just got to, you got to have a good feel for it and just, you know, know the areas that you're hunting and where those deer are going to feel more comfortable, you know,
2: especially in the daytime. Yeah. Just two, two quick things before we, we move on to the following week and then kind of going yep. back to my stories about the, the missed opportunities from the past pre previous years, man, one of those days on the first buck that I actually missed these two doe came flying in and they ran right past me in my stand. And I'm looking at them as they they went past my tree and they look behind them and looking at the area that they came through. And I just remember being, you know, like, okay, what's coming behind them. And then there he is, and he didn't come step out like and follow that line. He kind of like went around the edge of that thickness that was kind of. I wouldn't say I was in in open timber, but it wasn't as, you know it wasn't as thick as the cover bed, like going around it. And then that's when he kind of was going up there. I took a, uh, a prayer. I didn't even have a frigging rangefinder at that time. And I put, I put a pin on him and I shot right underneath him, And, uh, uh-huh. it, it was crazy. But then, uh, you know, there he is. It, like I said, it's the middle of October and those deer came running for their lives and they stopped like 15, 20 yards past me, looked out, you know, right where they came out of. And, you know, I saw him go right there and he, he didn't step out forward and he walked right up along that edge. So there it was middle of October, like you are saying, just kind of doing, uh, doing what, what bucks do. And then, uh, yep. kind of the other thing we were talking about cold fronts here, then, then Steve. And I know, I believe you mentioned this already on that Exodus podcast, but like when you got the, the most movement on those daytime activity, you know, was that more specifically happening while the temperature was dropping during the day or was it, after the front moved in
3: usually the i would it might sound it might sound crazy but you know during a cold front say like you get a front you know it, it might those temps might start to drop you know really good say noon one two o'clock like you'll still have a really good evening hunt but i'm telling you that next morning right after that cold front always usually seems to be the best for me. Um, in the, as far as the longevity of the whole event, like you'll see on my data, sometimes you'll be good activity, even two, three days after a cold front based on the time of year. But I really always like it the most that, that next, like that next morning. Mm-hmm. Um, or if it does start in the morning, it might turn on really good in the evening. It, it. I I do think, you know, there's already a a spark in the activity as soon as that front starts to hit and maybe, you know, a little bit before, but it it always seems to be like, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 hours into it, it's like that really
2: it's and by then. so people that are listening if you are following along maybe or or can go back and look at this spreadsheet i have it up as i'm speaking right now to kind of go along to what steve just said on october 16th of 2021 the temperature was 68 that was the high the low was 48 there was only two daylight uh photos taken but the next day So after what Steve just said, the next morning after that cold front, which would have been the 17th, uh, so drop 20 degrees and that, you know, next morning uh, um, and throughout the day, 11 daytime photos.
3: (laughs) Yep. So it just doubles
2: right up. Yep, doubles right up. So now let's break down that next week so now we're getting to i know your favorite time towards the end of of this week coming up but the 24th which is a monday again uh that's mm-hmm. saturday's the 29th and obviously halloween this year is going to be on a monday man what are you keying in on and going from there because like i said i know this is your favorite time of, of the year to hunt
3: yep no it and it actually it really is similar to how i would be hunting even that that, what we say, 17th to 20-whatever period, mm-hmm. except usually by now I'm a little bit more dialed in. Like, I'm actually a, a little more focused on does this time of year than, like, okay, I'm just trying to get buck pictures. Like, if you're just getting, say, like, you know, if you're just getting some random bucks at a scrape, maybe even some good ones, and you're not getting does, I'm telling you, almost 100% chance that spot's going to shut down any day. You want you really want to start focusing on those, especially once you get into that late October period. A lot of people overlook it. They think, you know, it, bucks really aren't after does until November. But those bucks start to search for does up to two weeks before any does really come into heat. Now, I know there's phenomenons and, and even late October, I will say, there are more occasional does. But, we, you know, we all know that most does come in, in our area, you know, coming to heat in November. But yet those bucks are just so amped up, and especially the mature ones, because that's where a lot of people disagree. They think the mature ones, you know, breed less and, you know, you know, start later or whatever. But I can, I'm totally sure in my experience that, that that's not true. But it's a time period when they're just literally cruising, uh, working scrapes, especially scrapes that have dough activity. Um, They're just dying to find that first hot dough, and it's a really special time to be in the woods because it's there's no very minimal chance that there's going to be any lockdown periods at that time. It's just constant cruising, you know, as long as you have good weather conditions and you know maybe not a lot of hunting pressure and people bothering your spots it's just a phenomenal time to be in the woods but you know overall i'm i'm kind of doing the same thing for about a two-week period i'm banking on some doe groups but really hoping and watching my cameras is to see you know are the bucks starting to show up to some of these scrapes that the does are working
2: here's a question for you steve because I have a spot that I found uh, back at northeastern Pennsylvania where it, it kind of just looks like a, your typical scrape, kind of little community scrape. Couple trails meet together, and then you walk uh, less less than a hundred yards easily, and there's a, a nice double scrape uh, right there on on a different piece of oh man, I'm, I'm I can't think of the the species of tree that that it, it's actually under. It's something different but man, this scrape is, it's like a frigging car hood. It's with two different scrapes on it. And, you know, all summer I, I've been getting doe and bucks, like moving through both of those, you know, when you have a spot like that, that has an area that would multiple scrapes and it comes to this time of year, are you focusing on closer to bedding uh, for a situation like that on that specific scrape? How, how do you, how could you help one me out and then maybe other hunters, you know, dictating like okay this is a scrape that you need to hunt over or not maybe hunt over that scrape but hunt where maybe you anticipate that buck coming from or going to
3: Mm -hmm. i mean it really just depends on where the scrape is located and that's you know overall when it comes to scrape hunting there really are a lot of scrapes that that aren't good to hunt Mm -hmm. um some of the biggest uh most beat up you know, hit the hardest scrapes I know of are mainly used at night. Uh, so, but it all, it just all depends on, uh, once again, is it in an area that you, that you know, that, you know, doesn't have a lot of hunting pressure? Um, is it, does it have cover? Because like I said, until those does, uh, you know, really start to come into heat, those bucks, you know, are very vulnerable about how they travel through the woods. So, you know, still keep cover in mind. Uh, and then, you know, also, if, did you, now, did you say at the spot that you had multiple scrapes there too?
2: Is yeah. That, so, or,
3: or is that yep. just one scenario? So,
2: no, that that spot, there are multiple scrapes. And actually, that spot, I didn't, I did not make any mock scrapes nearby either. I just kind of let the, what was already taken over by the deer. Now, I'm, I freshened up the, the licking branches a little bit, but that's about it. And when it came to the other pieces, I I did not touch anything else. And but like what you're saying is that spot has low pressure. That spot has some really ridiculous cover. Actually, closer to that double scrape. Um, So like, let's think about it this way: think of like thick cover, and like coming out of that there's a nice deer trail there's the double scrape if you're on a straight line you're going to hit that other scrape that we found and if you stay on that straight line you're hitting like a little marshy open area basically and uh Mm -hmm. on that open marshy area i've yet to get a buck on camera but on a but back in closer to that cover so far i've gotten you know mature bucks and i've gotten little bucks so uh yeah that's kind of my situation where i'm i'm excited to hunt that come man, that first one that first cold front and two obviously towards the end of october november
3: yep no and just and i i exactly perfect how you 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 brought that up um and my main reason why i asked about multiple scrapes is and i've learned this from you know putting like say like I have like a 500-yard-long section of ridge that might have three really good scrapes on it, where a lot of hunters would be like, all right, no sense in putting two or three cameras or a camera on each scrape. I'm just going to put one camera on one of those scrapes because they're really not that far apart. I'm telling you, sometimes that's the biggest mistake because you'd be surprised. Not every buck, or let me say, not every mature buck a lot of times it's going to cover a whole swath of ridge. Chances are, especially in the daytime, he's got like just kind of a way he accesses through a spot. It's not it's not like they're, you know, even in the rut, it's not like they're, uh, you know, coon dogs or something, just zigzagging everywhere. They kind of pick their route and, you know, go from maybe one ridge to the next. But you'd be amazed, like, the difference of intel you will get even in that little 500 yard stretch on three different scrapes you'd be amazed if uh, if you didn't put a camera on each one of those scrapes you, you would never know the intel that you're missing so my point is why i wanted to touch on that is it's so important to not ever you know feel like okay i just need to do a wide spread of cameras it's it's so important to learn how to cluster cameras and, and look for things that uh, really benefit that cluster, you know, tactic per se. Do you you know you have three real good scrapes on a ridge in a 500 yard stretch. Put a camera on all of them, and yeah. you'll be glad that you did it.
1: Yeah. Well, that's what I'm even thinking about the one property I'm I'm trying to kind of learn, is you know. Obviously, it's a steep mountain, and it's only one face of the mountain that I have access to. You know, so what I I did is at the bottom of the property is I have my... I have three basically cameras only a couple hundred yards apart, but they're at the same level at the beginning of the property because obviously the, f- the food in the fields are down low. And then in the, you know, in the morning, the deer are coming up, the, you know, in the evening, they're coming down. So I almost did the kind of same thing is, is spread those cameras out on the same level. And try to see what their patterns are like at what piece of the property. Obviously, you could sure. only have one in there and, and kind of be missing a lot of intel.
3: Yeah. Yep. And like I said, many times when it comes to mature bucks, you might get him, you know, in a 24 hour or, you know, in a night situation, he might hit all three of those scrapes at night, but he's only crossing that ridge and hitting one of those scrapes. Uh, on a certain route in the daytime, it's just amazing those little key bits of intel you get. Yep. You know, by there's there's no set number. Like you know, so many times people ask me when when I'm talking clustering cameras, like, "Okay, hey, Steve, how many cameras do I need to hunt this buck, or how many cameras do I need for this area?" There there is no set number, and overall, you you can't run too many cameras. I mean. I know people say I already run too many, but <laughs> I'm telling you, I don't, I'm not even touching it as far as how much more intel I could, you know, even get. Yet. It's just yep. getting almost humanly impossible to run more, <laughs> but just, you know, my point is is if you have, if you can afford to, uh, if you're able to, and any anytime you see that, those key sign features or something that's telling you that. You know, I think I might pick up some information by putting a camera there, you know, do that versus thinking that you have too many out. It's, uh, you can't put too many trail cameras out.
2: Yeah, no doubt about that. And I, man, I'm thinking back to last season when my dad and I had a big nine encounter on cameras and in in person hunting. Uh, My dad actually is the one that had an opportunity at him, but the, we would get him hitting scrape mock scrapes as he would walk down to some at the bottom of the mountain for for feed and we had i think two daytime daylight activity our camera images of him and one of them was near an area that i put a camera and another one was at one of the the mock scrape parts but you know that's and when my dad saw him for an opportunity was near the camera that i had out and Uh, Steve it's like kind of like what you're saying I ended up clustering a lot unfortunately they're not cell cameras so I do have to go in there and check at that time but they are clustered within that little home range up top where I think he could be betting uh, especially especially because of just that normal travel route that he's been taking last year so hopefully hopefully we we get another crack at him this year because uh, it would be really cool to to see what he is this year
3: yep no that's like I said, and I won't touch on this much more, but just to emphasize, and you know, in case nobody's ever heard how I cluster cameras, it's not like throwing a blanket of cameras just to cover like a square mile. It's about looking for key things and key areas, and then really dialing in on some movement. Uh, it, it's those type of situations. That's that's what clustering cameras is. It's not it's not like a you know, a wide net of cameras. So, yep. you know, you find those little pockets of, of, of good sign and good trails and, you know, things like that. And then, you know, five, six, seven, whatever, sometimes more, you just be amazed at the intel you get and how much it helps you as a hunter. Yeah.
2: Now we hit Halloween and to, I mean, how, how do you tackle the rut, the November, all that jazz? How do you handle maybe the next two weeks in general?
3: Um, yeah, this, this is where I, you know, a lot of people start getting super excited me, you know, maybe not quite as much except last year was a little different, but, uh, this is where, you know, honestly, I think it actually does slow down, you know, a a tad. Uh, I think you have to be a little bit more of a midday hunter in November. Uh, it, it does seem like, uh, You know that 11 to 3 period tends to be the best, and that's even that's based on a lot of you know just trail cam intel. I I didn't uh, post anything about you know times and that last year, but most years uh, I'll even note the pictures of you know of when we get all these bucks and just try to focus on like what are the best time periods. But it really does seem like you know that that first week or two in November that 11 to three 11 to four period is really good and and i mean i know it's getting to be more and more popular but yet it it still isn't something that uh you know a lot of hunters uh really do like a lot of guys like to sit two three hours in the morning two three hours in the afternoon and uh i'm telling you in in that november period the the reason why uh the reason why that, that midday, uh, period can be so good is I actually think that it's when those does lay down, that's about the time when, you know, when bucks will, will finally leave them. Mm-hmm. If, uh, you know, if those are up and moving, you know, they're following them around until, until the, you know, the does kind of, you know, had enough with it. So I, I really want to make sure I touch on, touch on that. And as far as like, tactics-wise goes or, you know, what I'm looking for that time of year, I mean, it might sound crazy, but I'm telling you, really pay attention for hot does. I know it sounds easier said than done, but if you're not around a hot dough once that November time period comes, maybe not so much the November, you know, 2, 3, 4, fifth, even though you're starting to get some, some does and heat then, but If you're not around a hot doe a lot of days in November, it's just dead. Because even though, you know, a mature buck tends to breed, you know, or do the bulk of the breeding or mature bucks do the bulk of it, even those lesser bucks, and sometimes those lesser bucks or even shooters, they're generally satelliting around that hot doe as well. So a lot of that movement is based in a little bit smaller area in November. So, try to try to be a little bit more aggressive. Um, I know I talk a lot about three day strategy, but I would say during that November period, especially once you get closer to that lockdown, if, you know, if you aren't seeing deer or, you know, not quite having the action, I think you can be more aggressive that time of year, but definitely spend more time in the stand in the middle of the day.
1: Yeah. And I, I think too is, is, exactly what you said if you're not seeing them that you're, you're not going to be in the action and you know which i think on public is is kind of harder to do right because you, <laughs> you have more pressure you're, you're trying to find that hot dough you're going to run into guys you know if they are all day sitting you know you don't want to be that guy that's just walking around and you know putting your scent everywhere, but, you know, you, you definitely got to find where that hot dough and, and where the action is. You know, how how do you, how would you educate someone with big woods, high-pressured areas that there might be other hunters that, you know, they do it, they're, they're trying to find that action but doing it the right way?
3: Yep. Um, well, I mean, let me, I guess let's do it this, let me say it this way. You know, there's several ways that I've had success doing it, it's still not that easy. Um, Generally, uh, it will start out with like a camera check. Usually a hot doe will honestly get real active at a scrape. Um, I mean, once again, I know that we all know does work scrapes, but you'll really see like a lot of urination activity in your photos. She might hit a certain scrape three, four times a day and then, if you see, you know that scrape just all of a sudden turn on, you know, by a bunch of other bucks. Like that's that's a key sign for a doe is coming to heat in that area. Uh, that's that's probably been the most successful way that you know we've had of finding, you know, a hot doe. Um, secondly, and it, it's it's simple, but yet really hard to do at times. But literally, you know, taking a day and you know grabbing your bow and your pack and just just kind of doing some still hunting not so much maybe really trying to get a shot but covering ground going through some different doe bedding areas maybe some feeding areas but you can you can tell when you see a mature buck or or if you see a whole group of bucks you know following or chasing a doe it's not coincidence she's hot now generally in that situation if I bump those deer you know or, you know, spook them in any way, usually I'll, you know, maybe put a stand up and then back out till the next day. I try to let the area, you know, calm down a little bit and you know, let the deer forget about me. But that, that way has worked really well, too. And, and just lastly, another thing that, that, that I found hot does is just driving back roads. Uh, that time of year, you know, on some, you know, like the areas we hunt, <coughs> excuse me, with, you know, with a lot of, lot of back roads, country roads, you just, you just see the rut going on and, and, you know, you you find bucks, dog and does that way somewhere in that general area, you know, it's going to be good the next day because her scents literally scattered all around those woods. You may not be able to, uh, you know, be able to kill a good buck, you know, immediately the next day or at least get you in the ballpark though, if not, you know, in the right situation.
1: Now now what sort of time frame do you feel like that action's going to stay hot so just, you know just thinking about you know, with cell cameras, you know, maybe it's a Monday or Tuesday, we, we, we get that, you know, that, that doe peeing in the scrape, or maybe we even see a, a mm-hmm. buck chasing a doe, you know, across our camera. and So we know that there's a hot doe in there, but we're not actively hunting, right? You know, so, yep. you know, and then maybe that's a Monday or Tuesday and, and you don't have off till Saturday or Sunday, yep. you know, what sort of time frame do you have, you know, is, you going to miss it or, you know, or is it still okay to go in there and try to find that, that action? You know, what, what would you recommend for people that see that on their camera that, you know, not actively walking through the woods and looking for that at that specific time?
3: Yep. I do think it's, you know, a four to five day window. I do think the beginning is better than the latter though. Um, In my experience, I think Adele starts to sense that she's coming into heat. Like, pretty sure it's like around, you know, what, a three day thing or something like that. Mm-hmm. But I also think there's a little bit more to it, you know, in the days, you know, before then. Um, just based on, especially what I've seen when I told you that, you know, we'll watch Adele really get scrape active and urinating down her hocks and, you know, then boom, bucks show up and, you know, they're chasing her the next day, and, you know, if you're a hunter, you're in heaven. You're, you found you found exactly what you're looking for. But it, it seems to be like, you know, it's almost like a four- to five-day process. But the problem is it also seems like in that particular spot that if you start to get a, a whole bunch of bucks coming in after her, but you get, you know, if maybe you have a dominant deer, a really mature buck eventually grab onto her does seem like during the tail end of her heat or maybe sometimes a little bit sooner a lot of times a mature buck will try to take her out of that area Mm -hmm. so the sooner you can get on that intel really the better
2: i like that well steve i know i want to be cautious of your time so i want to do a little bit of rapid fire of certain questions there's there's not many and you could go as far deep as you want to answer them Uh, or, or not. So it's up to you, man. Um, yep. what, one of the questions that a listener had was would making multiple mock scrapes around a primary mock scrape or a scrape in general have any negative effect? So I kind of like the example, I guess that, you know, that I found, you know, like I said, I did not make any other mock scrapes around those two that I found. Uh, you know, if I were to go ahead and make a couple more, say in that vicinity would that, ha- do you think play a negative role in, in, in that area?
3: Not usually, at least in my opinion, my experience. Because remember, like I said, it's not like when it comes to daytime activity, a lot of these bucks have specific routes they take through areas. So, yeah, once again, you might you might get them on all those scrapes, you know, throughout the season, at night hours. But he's got specific routes he's usually taken in the daytime. And a lot of times it's just one or two of them scrapes, or sometimes it is that big, you know, heavily well-used community scrape that is in the right spot, you know, in one of his paths that, you know, that tends to be, you know, a route that he takes. But generally, I don't think, uh, I don't think it's going to hurt more than it might actually help you. Because even if you're getting a lot of night pictures or a lot of times, you know, more scrapes, just leads to more intel in general and maybe lead you on to a few other deer in that area i, I you know i don't i don't think it's going nice. uh, to hurt uh to an
2: extreme point nice another one was when it comes to actually hunting and setting up whether you're in the saddle or a tree stand or whatever you know what are you more focusing on do you care more about your height or your cover
3: i definitely would say i prefer to have cover more than height Um, I've killed deer from literally, you know, eight feet off the ground, but it's one of those things. If I, if I don't have cover, then I'm going pretty dang high too. So, uh, but honestly though, I, you know, I, I can generally, you know, at least the deer we're hunting, they, they don't seem to be real leery of, you know, anything. They don't, basically my point is they don't really seem to catch you. Too bad if you're up you know at least 20 feet and i'm talking a tree with no cover mm-hmm. if i'm up 20 25 feet and, you know sticking out like a sore thumb up there it really it still doesn't seem to it seems to get me out of their field of view honestly
2: yeah yeah uh when it comes to mountain lore this is something that Dimitri and i we have all over the place and uh certain aspects that some areas that i scouted actually this past summer where i thought could potentially be a good spot and i was like holy cow i need a uh, like go-go gadget machete arms in here just to whack and get through how do you tackle that that was one of the questions whether it be scouting do you even go through that for hunting setup uh, any anything along those lines
3: yep um see that's where a lot of hunters get thrown off and like that's how a lot of big deer get big and old because that's a scenario of a place like it's just like it's almost like mentally disturbing to have to even go into a spot (laughs) like that. Like nobody's going in there. So if you think about it, wouldn't it likely be that a mature buck is, you know, two, three, four hundred yards back into the middle of a mountain laurel thicket because maybe one man out of every five years attempts to go through it. Like you think about that, even though it seems like, Hardly, you know, impenetrable. But I mean, he's got every day to figure out how to get in and out of that thing. That's the perfect scenario for uh, literally a uh, state record type buck. So certainly, I think mountain laurel uh, can be really, really good. Uh, just to touch on that a little bit more, though, at least the laurel thickets we have, um, they tend to not have a lot of good browse in them, as far as like understory. I in my experience, I don't see the deer browsing on the mountain laurel a whole lot, so it doesn't seem to have, you know, a great food source for bedding. You know, a lot of my best bedding areas have food, but if if you have mountain laurel and, like a mass crop such as like oak mixed together, and you got acorns dropping in that laurel, I mean, you're talking like an absolute just dynamite fall bedding area. Nice. And then also, um, I will say, like in gun season, keep in mind you don't have to have food in the bedroom because they they become so uh, so spooked and so disturbed at that time of year that they literally will go two miles from a food source just to avoid any hunting pressure at all. So overall, those nasty mountain laurel thickets shouldn't be overlooked. I telling you
2: there's some giants in them. Nice. Dimitri, do you have anything else to pick on from earlier?
3: I don't think so.
2: Yeah. Steve, this is phenomenal. Oh my gosh, I'm Oh, great. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I I can't thank you enough for breaking down almost each week, and I think for for this podcast specifically coming out, when it's going to come out, it's going to be dynamite, and I appreciate you uh, taking the time to do that. And, you know, when it comes to your season this uh, upcoming year, what is your outlook for, for your own personal season?
3: Um, You know, I actually think it's a little bit of a down year as far as, like, you know, a lot of years I've had, like, you know, 160, 170 some gear, like. like I can't say that I'm really killing a lot of deer that big, but really don't have uh, anything out there that, like, I'm super, super stoked or, like, a once-in-a-lifetime type deer, but still really excited. I mean, there's still a lot of really good bucks, and obviously, you know, not bragging, but I I know you guys follow me mm-hmm. on social media, and I know I've posted quite a few, you know, nice deer, 140, maybe some 150-inch deer this year or so. I'm certainly excited and I'm not complaining one bit. Um, I would, I would love to just be able to kill a, a mature deer, but hopefully it's something that, that I have history with. Like to me, there's just nothing more uh, fulfilling and achieving than like, you know, harvesting a deer that you, you really had to put your time into versus like, you know, and it could be first week in November and you're in a funnel somewhere and a big giant comes by. I mean, yeah, obviously that's a great feeling too, but there's nothing like really putting your time in on a certain deer and having it all come together. So kind of hoping for an opportunity like that. I like it,
2: man. I hope so, and I wish you the best of luck. And one last thing, and it's, it's going to be a hopefully a good giggle out of this. <laughs> so this upcoming year, uh, let's just say uh, uh, one of my goals was to not, like, burn – a random day during the week just because to get out hunting, right? But let's let's just say the October, oh man, I'm, I'm looking at this because I, I, the 17th through the 21st is a Monday through Friday. Let's just say finally that first cold front is coming through, like starting the 17th and that 18th is a Tuesday and it looks to be, you know, the coldest it's been yet all year. Am I taking that day off?
3: Oh, you'd be nuts not to. <laughs> you, you know where I'll be. So I, that, love, I that, like it. That, yeah, I mean, not to, I don't want to drag this on too much, but if if you have the ability, and I know really most hunters don't, but if you have any ability to base your hunting around weather, specifically cold fronts, by all means do that. You will kill more mature bucks that way than, than really any way else. It, the weather is, You know, we talked a little bit about, you know, how I've studied weather for several years and I have data to prove it. The weather is one of your biggest, uh, can be your best friend and it can be your worst enemy if you just got to know when to, when to use it at your advantage.
2: When to strike. Awesome, man. Well, Steve, where could people follow you and, uh, keep track and tabs uh, if they're already not doing so?
3: Yeah, they can follow my, uh, my guide service business page at Shirk's Guide Service on Facebook or Instagram um Keep in mind, I, I'm getting so many people uh, some days you know messaging me, you get on these podcasts and you know obviously I do a lot of posting on social media that I am having a hard time you know keeping up with the messages and eventually uh, you know I might get some help or whatever but be patient with me. I, I honestly <clears throat> I can't appreciate all the following and support. I can't appreciate it enough from you know, so many great people literally around the country anymore. So uh, I, if, if you don't know of me, I, I would be happy to have you follow us. And uh, I think at uh, if, if the least uh, you'll be entertained and you'll learn a thing
2: or two. I, yeah, man, absolutely. Well, Steve, thank you so much for this evening for coming on again. Thank you for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week. Best of luck to you this
3: weekend when it comes to opening day for statewide. And Aunt Laura.